everybody welcome back to the format podcast another episode and uh, another great guest joining me tonight is sports reporter for uh action news jacks right here in jacksonville my main man and fellow unf osprey alum swoop yes sir swoop. marcel robinson how you doing tonight marcel i'm doing good man always great to jump on with a fellow osprey out here doing big things in the community man i'm doing good yes sir yes sir so um uh, definitely want to talk some NFL with you. I know you cover the Jags closely. Um, obviously, they're going to have the number one pick in the draft coming up. They're coming off clearly a horrendous season, a lot of craziness with the former head coach and and, and his staff. And uh, now we've got a, a totally different uh, regime in town. So first, just talk to me briefly. We've seen the articles. We've seen a lot of the, the news coverage and all that. What do you think was the biggest thing that went wrong last year and why Urban Meyer was so unsuccessful as, as an NFL head coach? I kind of predicted that that move wasn't going to work and that it was more an attention grab and a, and a chance and opportunity to fill seats. We know Urban Meyer is a legend in this area after winning two championships with the Gators years ago. But what, why do you think that it was such an incredible and epic failure? I mean, to be completely honest with you, I mean, I would say that the the root of it is just, you know, the the miscommunication and the and to be honest with you, the poor connection between, you know, Urban Meyer and the players. I mean, obviously, you just mentioned it yourself. You know, this is a guy that Urban Meyer, who's basically, you know, prior to his stint with the Jaguars, was associated with winning. You know, the guys won, you know, at Florida. The guy won at Ohio State, and just that he had that winning pedigree, but. Um, you know, every college coach that comes to the NFL doesn't exactly, you know, equate to winning in the NFL. You know, it, it's a different breed. I think it's an even more of a different breed now in the NFL in terms of just kind of the way you can handle and manage things uh, between college and the NFL than it was when he was a coach. I um, mean, just from being close to the program and hearing things from the inside, a lot of the guys were just saying that there's just a disconnect, you know, between the way that Urban Meyer was kind of treating the program and the players and everything and, and essentially trying to, to run the, the professional Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, football organization like a college team. You know, if you even ask someone who was on the field, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, during, you know, the, the all of the home games and, and, you know, the majority of the away games, you know, even, even the way they warmed up, you know, when Urban would come out and he would kind of, you know, get these guys starting to get going, you know, it had a very college feel to it. Um, and I think, you know, from the college ranks, Urban Meyer, who's just so used to being in control of everything. And you know, I don't want to, I don't want to use the term, you know, dictatorship, but he was basically the guy, you know, and, and some of those things don't translate over to the NFL. I think that, you know, he, one of his big things was, you know, I've done my homework, done my homework, but, you know, as you see, as we got later on in this thing that, you know, he may have done his homework, but he didn't study the right subject. You know, he, <laughs> Right. It, it, it kind of seemed like he came to a math test after he studied for history, you know? Um, and I, I think it was just a disconnect, you know, unrealistic expectations by him. I think he could come in and run this organization the way that he ran organizations prior. And, and that just wasn't the case. Um, real quick, before we move off of Urban Meyer, do you feel that he's going to be a head coach again, at least in the, even in the collegiate ranks? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it's one of those things that I think from a college standpoint, I think that, you know, if he wants to get back into coaching college football, I think he can. Um, I mean, we, we've seen the way the NFL works. It's a very, very 
very exclusive club. You know, even most of these coaches, the NFL coaches we have now, you know, they're, they're guys who have been other places or that have been assistants in other places. You know, it's a very tight knit community. Um, I don't think he would, one, want to get back into the NFL after seeing how different it is. But I right. think when it comes to when it comes to it, I don't know if because it was such a disaster, you know, on and off the field and just a toxic environment that he brought to the a professional organization. I don't know if, if, you know, a professional team would want to take that chance. But if he wants to coach college football, I'm sure there's a place for him in the college football ranks. Okay. So um, obviously Urban didn't even make it through his entire first season before being discharged from his position as head coach with the Jags. Then we saw um, we saw the, the the interim head coach take over. Can't remember the name. Um, but even beyond that, Bevel. we sorry, Daryl Bevel. Thank you, Daryl Bevel. Right. So Bevel took over, and then then you see this off season. There was a quote unquote coaching search which ends in Doug Peterson, former Super Bowl winning champion, uh, head coach with the Eagles. And that's cool. But prior to that, and I want to get your thoughts on this, we saw um, that uh, uh, Jags offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich was really in the mix for this position. However, he did not want to work with uh, Trent Baalke. What do you think was the holdup for Shad Khan and the rest of the Jags uh, front office brain trust um, with not giving Byron Leftwich an opportunity. What what did you really hear from behind the scenes regarding that? I mean, it's tough with that situation, obviously, because, you know, for me, not being firsthand in their, their meetings and everything, but from everything that we've heard, you know, we've heard the reports of, you know, uh, Byron was offered the job or he was close to being offered the job or he was, you know, the guy, he was their guy, you know, but the stipulation was, not wanting to work with Trent Baalke and, you know, wanting to bring in um, um, uh, Adrian Wilson, I believe, from Arizona to be his general manager. Um, and, and I think ultimately the main hiccup, you know, if there if there truly was one, was the fact that, you know, and, and Byron's not the only one, you know, uh, allegedly Nathan ha Nathaniel Hackett was the same way, not wanting to work with Trent Baalke and, you know, for, for whatever reason, you know, um, Shad Khan's loyalty to Trent Baalke runs very thin, thick, you know, um, why or for whatever reason that is, obviously that's, you know, to be determined. But I think that between Byron Leftwich, you know, you know, there, there was just a disconnect there. Like him not, him saying, you know, it's very clear that he didn't want to work with Trent Baalke. Now, whether that was a determining factor of him being offered or accepting the, the position or, or if that was like, you know, I'll come if he's gone type of ultimatum type of situation. Um, I can't say for certain, but that is something that we'd heard. Um, and truthfully, I think that, you know, not just Byron Leftwich, but anyone that came in here has right to be skeptical about, you know, the, 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 the collaboration with Trent Balky because this is a guy that, you know, it's been well documented that he has a reputation from other, you know, executives and coaches around the league of not being someone that they can put their trust in. You know, you got, you know, what he's done in San Francisco about, you know, just, you know, coaches coming in and out like a revolving door, you know, and him using them as a scapegoat for that particular team's lack of success. And, you know, I don't blame him, truthfully, if, if that's the thing, you know, if I'm Byron Leftwich, if I'm coming, especially from a guy that, let's be honest, you know, the, the Byron Leftwich is an up and coming guy, but at the same time, you know, the real reality of it is that because he is a black head coach, 
he's not going to get the same, you know, leash that that you know his you know Caucasian you know counterparts would get. And I think that's a concern of his. You know, I, if I I don't blame him for wanting to come into a situation that's not favorable. Of course, yes, you know we have you know Trevor Lawrence is here in Jacksonville. The quarterback situation is seemingly taken care of, but there are a lot of holes in this team, and this team is is you know on paper not close to being a quote unquote success. You know, and and you know I, I could certainly see Byron being worried about what if I go in there and we only win five games the first year. You know, and and it being placed on me based, you know, from previous, obviously, you know, uh, occurrences. And so for personally, for me, I, I think that that was probably it. You know, you know, not feeling comfortable with, you know, trusting Trent to one, set him up for success and to not be able to do what he wants to do. Because let's be honest, this is a rebuild. You know, yes, Trevor Lawrence is in place, but with, with the Jaguars, you know, everyone realistically, it's going to take some time for this team to get to that point. And I think with Byron left, which is just a matter of, you know, I don't want to get, I, I, I want to, if I'm coming there, I want to set my, be set up for success to implement what I want to do and to be able to, to really push in like, Hey, look, I'm committed to this process, but it's going to take some time. And I don't, I just don't think he trusted that Trent Baalke would be the right person for him to be uh, successful. Right. So we're seeing, um, I don't know if it's a shift or uh, I guess it's probably pretty much already happened, but in the NFL, we're seeing that the most successful teams are featuring um, uh, bright offensive minded quarterbacks partnering with uh, high level, um, excuse me, bright offensive minded head coaches partnering with high level quarterback play. And um, that's generally leading to success. Now, obviously the Jaguars have Trevor Lawrence, who many have perceived to be the next up and, uh, he was coming out of college and he was touted as what the highest, the, the, the highest ceiling recruit since Andrew Luck, um, whether or not that comes to pass, I'm not sure, but now you have joined him with, uh, I mentioned a former NFL quarterback who is a Super Bowl champion at head coach and Doug Peterson coming down from, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. What's your thought on that pairing? What have you heard about how Trevor Lawrence feels about, Doug Peterson and what they're trying to install offensively and uh, how well that can work this coming season. I'll be honest with you. Everything that I've heard seems to be, you know, positive, you know, um, from you know, the things we've heard from Trevor, you know, the things we've heard from Doug, the things we've heard from everyone else, just about sort of how, you know, the, everything is different there, you know, um, the vibe is different. And I like, I do like the pairing between Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence. You know, it's, it's one of those things where, it doesn't, it's not always successful, but the fact that Doug Peterson is a former head coach, um, Super Bowl winning head coach, and he, he knows how to win as a, a quarterback. He's a former professional quarterback. You know, obviously the league is different now than when he played, but I think just the general nuances, you know, I'm a firm believer in that, you know, the game of football, you know, it, it doesn't, it, it, from a totality standpoint, it doesn't change. You know, obviously the names change and it gets faster and, and, and schemes and things change, but the basic game of football doesn't change. And this is a guy that's coming in who knows the basics of how to, to be a successful NFL quarterback. And that's something that, you know, Urban Meyer, for example, would have never been able to give Trevor, you know, or even when Daryl Bevel was interim head coach and head coach and, you know, we had Brian Schottenheimer in here, even as quarterback or offensive um, uh, uh, passing game coordinator. I think Doug Peterson brings a couple of things to, to Trevor. One, 
you know, he did the same. He's he he can come in and replicate similar what he did with Carson Wentz. You know, we've seen how you know when when Doug. I'm not going to say it's attributed to Doug Peterson leaving, but Carson Wentz hasn't been the same since he was coached under uh, Doug Peterson. You know, we've seen him. You know, uh, flame out in Philly. We've seen his his brief stint in Indianapolis. But I think the fact that Doug Peterson knows how to get the best out of whoever his signal caller is, is huge for Trevor. I mean, Doug Peterson coaching the Super Bowl, we saw he, he you know, Nick Foles is, is kind of caught lightning in a bottle, but he put Nick Foles in the best position to win. Nick Foles is not a great quarterback. He's a good quarterback and probably a career backup, I would say, using that term loosely, but he got the best out of whichever quarterback lined up with him and you throw you bring that mentality to the Jaguars with a guy who is you know from everything I've seen you know has all the potential to be great he has all the tools has all the mechanics he's smart poised and all these things you know pairing those two together I think has the potential to be great and I think he because of the fact that he knows that that you can't make your quarterback better without building around him is the biggest thing that Doug Peterson brings. So we've seen a focus on trying to make the Jaguars a uh, a better team around Trevor Lawrence this offseason. We've seen them uh, in, fix the offense. Well, not necessarily fix, but improve the offensive line, improve the wide receiver core. What do you think were some of the biggest uh, moves that were made by the Jags so far this offseason? And where do you think going forward is most important for them to uh, to to improve? I think the biggest thing they could have done was going out and get uh, Brandon Sheriff from uh, Washington. I think mm-hmm. that, was, that was obviously the biggest move they've done. You know, the, the the sexier thing people would say is, you know, Christian Kirk, you know, getting him a playmaking wide receiver um, and then just go, kind of going out to get weapons, finding him a tight end and, and Evan Ingram, who's, you know, look, let's be honest. Evan Ingram is not is has not shown that he's an elite tight end, but he's shown to be serviceable. He's had some problems, you know, staying healthy and catching the ball, but he's, he's a serviceable guy and an option. But I mean, I think the biggest thing is, you know, the, the you know, working on that offensive line, you know, he, that was one thing that when Doug Peterson, when we talked to him sort of, you know, off to the side, he said like, this team needs to be fixed from, you know, the, the inside out, you know, from the front back, essentially, you know, and, and priority number one, is protecting Trevor Lawrence. I mean, we've seen guys that quarterbacks who are throwing to, um, let's be honest, just, just, you know, average guys have been able to be successful because of the people that, you know, they, the protection they have around them, whether that be, you know, the backfield or the, or up front, you know, let's be honest, this, this offense, this is an offensive line that has not been great. You know, they've been terrible at times. They've played good a lot, a lot better than most people will give them credit for, but this is an offensive line that has not been great. You know, and and protecting Trevor Lawrence is the biggest thing. You know, you, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you can get if you can give this guy three, four seconds back there, five seconds, you know, with an average crop of uh, pass catchers and playmakers, this guy can do some damage. You know, he did it last year. You know, he's throwing to you know Marvin Jones and you know, Lavisca Chanel, who hasn't you know had that breakout season, and you know Jamal Agnew before he got hurt. This is a guy that used to be uh, a defensive back. Um, you know, and, and just kind of like fill in the blank tight ends. This guy is making plays with these guys when he has time to do these things. And I think that, and that's why I would say, you know, working, you know, Brandon Sheriff is probably the biggest 
signing. Um, and the best thing that they can do for Trevor is really addressing that offensive line play because this guy was running for his life a lot last year. This guy was on his back a lot last year. He was making something out of nothing a lot last year. Um, and just seeing it up close, like even when he's had guys running wide open down the field, which everyone wants to point out, you know, this guy's open, this guy's open, this guy's open, but he's running for his life. Um, and, and, you know, this is the type of guy where if you give him some time back there, he's going to rip people apart. We really believe that Trevor Lawrence is going to be what they said he was going to be. And by that, I mean, generational talent, best prospect since Andrew Luck and all that. And I looked at it. I watched a lot of him in, in college, uh, kind of being in ACC slash SEC uh, territory. And I, I like to compare him with uh, Justin Fields up in Chicago, former Ohio State quarterback. And I was a proponent that uh, Justin Fields was the better quarterback. I saw him make more tight window throws. I saw him play against generally stiffer competition. Um, during his final year at Clemson, uh, uh, just Trevor Lawrence was in a position where the Clemson roster had 11 out of the 16 five-star recruits in the entire conference. Like his receivers were always running wide open. I rarely saw him make a tight window throw. Yeah, I saw him throw dimes, but I didn't see him make tight window throws. We didn't see him pressured very much. He always had the elite talent around him defensively as well. So I was wondering, you know, I, I thought that that estimation of him in terms of, you know, what they said he was, was a bit overrated to me. I thought it was a reach. Now, we did see as a freshman when he went up against Alabama, he carved them up. Again, that's a function of him having, you know, the type of talent that could actually match up physically with Alabama and not get bullied. Where are you on the prognostications about what Trevor Lawrence can and will be going forward? I tell you what, it's funny you say that because when he was first coming out, you know, I thought the same thing, you know, watching a lot of Clemson tape, um, you know, taking away you know, the, uh, the couple of games against Ohio State and obviously Alabama, mm -hmm. but most of his tape um, was just that. You know, you have guys like, you know, Travis Etienne at the backfield or running jet sweeps or Justin Ross, and a lot of these guys were wide open. A lot of his tape was uh, drop back and, and deliver a guy that's running a slant or a post pattern, but there's not a defender within like four or five yards of him. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought the same thing. That was my biggest concern with was – that exact uh, thing because you, you you're right you do see other quarterbacks where they're you know fitting balls in tight windows and and, and he there were many cases where Trevor didn't have to do that um, but at the same time the ability to make a lot of those throws too um, was a big deal and and I saw him in clutch moments and and it, it's it's one of those things where you could always tell that he had the ability to um, and I feel like sometimes we get in the habit of saying well because he didn't do it, you know, we can't tell ourselves that we have to be careful and not, you know, allude to the fact that just because he didn't do it, because he didn't have to do it, doesn't mean he can't do it, per se. Um, but he made, Trevor Lawrence made some plays and some throws last year that I don't think really, you know, get as much credit as they deserve. Even, even you know, drives that were unsuccessful. Um, the one that sticks out to me immediately is the play he made in the Indianapolis game. You know, I was on the field. Um, it was a terrible snap, high snap, bounced off, you know, right essentially off his face mask, off his hands, went high in the air. He turned around, uh, caught the ball, had his back to the defense, which and everyone knows when if a quarterback turns his back to a defense outside of a play action pass, it's typically a sack or a dead ball. Um, this guy tracked the ball in the air, found it, turned around. Uh, I can't remember the, the 
Colts player coming off the edge, but was coming full speed off the edge, and he delivered a a perfectly accurate ball to Marvin Jones with a touchdown. Um, and and he had plays like that all season. You know, the the play there was also a play in Cincinnati. You know, a deep pass he threw to to um, Jamal Agnew, a deep pass to Lavisca Chenault. He's made throws throughout the entire season. Obviously, in training camp and in practice, we all saw it, but. On the field, this guy has made some plays and some decisions and throws that we haven't seen here. You know, I mean, I, I'm safe, safe to say maybe ever. You know, uh, and and a lot of those, so a lot of those throws, some of them were drops. Uh, let's be honest. Trevor Lawrence had a lot of throws that were great plays, great reads, and everything, but you know, it didn't connect on the opposite end. As far as to answer your question, you know, what are my thoughts as to what he can be? I think this guy can be great. You know, truthfully, and, and I don't just say that to kind of, you know, piggyback on, you know, the, the general consensus, but but as someone who's been on field level, you know, eye to eye and seeing what this guy's doing and what's going on around him, like this guy was making, this guy was, he inherited a mess, you know, and, and to come in here and the leadership qualities that he's, you know, exhibited and the plays that he's made and the poise, and I've really only seen him, him and let's be honest. Anyone who's watched, who watched Jaguars football last year, there was a lot to be frustrated about. I've only, right. I only saw this guy, you know, slightly lose his poise in frustration, maybe a couple of times. And I think that speaks a lot to you know, for him to be able to stay con- consistent and stay poised in these situations. And he can make any throw on the field. He's athletic. Is he going to outrun, you know, a, a defensive end or a weak side, strong side linebacker for 40 yards? No, but, you, but he doesn't need to. He's athletic enough. He's smart as all get out. Um, he can make any throw on the field. I think it all just depends on what goes on around him. It's an 11-man game, but I, I I would agree. I think this guy has the potential to be great, you know, but at the end of the day, potential is, is not always achieved. But the the, the guy, has he has it. He, ha- he has that it that you can't teach. So we know the Jags are the number one overall pick in the upcoming draft, providing they don't trade it away. What's your feeling or what are you hearing about what they might do with it? Obviously, I'm pretty sure they're keeping that pretty close to the vest as is normal practice around draft time. But have you heard anything that might uh, give give us an idea of where they might be leaning with that pick? Uh, nothing outside of the, the usual. You know, they like a lot of guys. You know, mm-hmm. the number one pick is a team that has a lot of holes. You know, they like a lot of guys, uh, um, you know, they've been kind of shuffling some guys in on, on visits and talking to a lot of guys doing their due diligence. Um, I think, you know, obviously they can go, there's a lot of different ways they can go. You know, of course, uh, you know, the whole Cam Robinson thing, you know, that plays a factor whether they go offensive line or not, whether it is Evan Neal or, or, or um, you know, Icky uh, from NC State. Um, obviously, um, Hutchinson from Michigan, he's, he's, you know, been, been the, you know, the pick, the number one pick for, for quite some time now. And there's even, there's a little bit of speculation on, on that. And, you know, just as any number one pick, you know, people are going to find something to to pick apart and say, you know, why shouldn't he be the number one pick? And, and you know, I, I've heard, you know, Trayvon Walker, obviously from Georgia, you know, as a Georgia fan myself, you know, I've, I've watched him, you know, all year, of course, you know, the big knock on him that's coming about now. You know, he kind of caught a little bit of a, of, of, a little bit of a, a jump, you know, caught some momentum because of, you know, his combine workouts and, you know, showing out. Uh, but one of the knocks on him is that, you know, he was a member of an elite defense that had, you know, 11 guys that were really playmakers, you know. Um, 
But as far as they, if they stay at number one, I mean, it's one of those things where <laughs> you have to be careful because you, you absolutely can go wrong. But I think this team has so many holes that, you know, whoever they pick, um, you know, I think as long as they're, they have to be a difference maker. Like that's the one thing you don't get. You hope you don't get many chances. You don't want many chances to be the number one overall pick. But when you do, it has to be a guy like, you know, a Trevor Lawrence of last year. This is, has to be a guy that's going to make an immediate impact and continued impact from years to come. I'll be completely honest. If I'm, if you're asking me right now who I think they're going to pick, I think they probably go with, you know, the, the Aiden Hutchinson from Hutchinson from Michigan. Um, not because, and I don't say that reluctantly, but he's a good player. Um, I think, I think he's a good player. It, it's, I think it's fair for people to wonder, you know, if he's, you know, is he, is he, is he JJ Watt? Is he one of the Boses? Like, you know, yeah. Is he, you know, you take it back to like a Jared Allen, you know, mm -hmm. is he, is he that guy? Because he is a guy that, you know, based on the trajectory of his career, you know, this past year where he was kind of showing out and doing, you know, doing great. He had a, a running mate, um, mm -hmm. you know, obviously. And, and that's one of the things that, that some people are wondering like, okay, well, if not, if not for, you know, the help that he had on the other side, would he be as great as he is? And I just, I just look at that and I say, well, if that's the case, you know, if he, if they draft him here, then he has that running mate here in Josh Allen, a veteran who's, who's, uh, you know, experienced that same situation. So, you know, I, I think it's one of those, I don't, I don't think they can go wrong. I don't subscribe to the sexy pick, you know, everyone's saying Neil or Hutchinson. I mean, truthfully, you know, I feel like this team has, and Doug Peterson actually said it when we talked to him one day, it's like, you don't want to, you just have to be careful to whoever you draft, you're drafting for your team. Don't worry about, you know, what the, uh, the fans or analysts or whatever are telling you to take, you're taking the top player to you. So, so if that's a, I, I was talking, it's funny, I was talking to someone last week, I said, you know, if they go out and they draft, you know, George Pickens, wide receiver out of Georgia, number one overall everyone's going to hate it. No one's going to like it. Everyone's going to say it's stupid. But if this guy goes out and catch 76 balls for, you know, 12, 1,200 yards and, and eight touchdowns, it was worth it. You know, it's a difference maker. So I think it's just, it's just, this team has so many different holes, but truthfully, I think that Hutchinson is probably the way they'll go just because it serves. It's one of those immediate needs that, you know, um, and this guy's a playmaker. I think uh, to your point that the Jags do have a whole lot of needs and a whole lot of holes to fill. And um, when you see this particular draft not having that super elite stud who is a surefire number one, maybe you do consider trading back and getting some more picks so that you can do a better job of filling more of those holes. I, I, I don't know. It's This is going to be interesting to see what they do. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, yeah. So, let me ask you, kind of moving off the Jags a bit uh, before I let you go, what do you think are some of the uh, most surprising things you've seen so far this NFL offseason? Oh, my gosh. This has been one of the crazier NFL yeah, offseasons really in, in a long time. Yeah. I don't – I would say – I mean, I don't know. It, it's – I was I was actually thinking about this earlier today. I think the – one of the bigger surprises to me, honestly – um, I think between two, I would say Russell Wilson to Denver is kind of surprising mm. for me just because I feel like Russell Wilson is Seattle. You know, when you think Seattle, you think yeah. Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll, and you could throw a DK Metcalf in there too. But, you know, 
you know, the, the, the reports are that, that there's a little bit of bad blood between Seattle and Russell Wilson, which is crazy because you think, who does Russell Wilson have to have bad blood with? Like, this guy is like, he loves everybody. Um, I think he has a very carefully curated public image. Very, very much so. Um, <laughs> but I think the bigger surprise to me, honestly, is, is Von Miller. You know, I, that's what, that's one. I'll be honest. I did not see that coming. You know, this is a guy that, this is a guy that, you know, going to Buffalo, Buffalo is obviously a good team, great team. You know, they're mm -hmm. right on the cusp. You know, this is Von, this is a guy, Von Miller, who's coming fresh off a of Super Bowl. This is a Rams mm -hmm. team that's still pretty good, you know, um, still for the most part loaded. Um, and that, that one kind of surprised me a little bit, him going to Buffalo. I'm not saying that he, that he should have, should have, or would have gone back to Los Angeles, but, you know, I, I specifically remember Vaughn being very kind of, you know, emotional about leaving Denver to go to L.A. Just saying, like, you know, he thought he was going to be a Bronco for his entire career, which I thought so, too. And I think Denver's a Denver's are building a really good – that AFC West is just yeah strong. But yeah. I, think Denver, I think Denver's a really good team, and I honestly thought that he might have gone back to Denver. It would have been weird for him to leave Denver, go win a Super Bowl, then come back. Um but I absolutely had – I did not see him going to um, Buffalo. I mean, Devontae Adams going to the Raiders, that one not as much surprising. I can That situation in Green Bay was, was messy enough for me to say, okay, I can see him leaving. Um, and some of these other guys, uh, um, AFC West. But I think the, the biggest surprise for me would definitely be Von Miller to Buffalo. Um, I, that's just the one that I just, I just didn't see coming at all. Fair enough. Um, last question. Deshaun Watson gets the the bag, the bag mm -hmm. of all bags, $230 million, five years, fully guaranteed. Mm -hmm. How much do you think that this shifts the entire landscape of the NFL in terms of the way players uh, are paid? We know that for a while now, the, the high-level elite quarterbacks have been getting big money. But now to see that amount of money fully guaranteed, how much do you think this – totally uh changes the landscape oh i think it's huge i think it, it's it's i'm not i won't i don't think i'll i can say that it completely shifts everything but it definitely plays a major factor in um you know how these deals are done going forward i mean let, mm -hmm. look let's be honest uh every single player counts every player's money you know as mm -hmm. much as much as they want to say you know i don't i don't check his pockets i don't i don't count anybody else's money every mm -hmm. single player is watching what everyone else signs you know, it's, it's the reason why a lot of these deals take so long is because one player is waiting to see what another one does, um, you know, for the longest time. And I think that, you know, what Deshaun got is absolutely going to play a role in what future star quarterbacks, um, you know, are, are afforded. You know, obviously every quarterback can ask for that, but I don't think every quarterback will be afforded that particular right to have a fully guaranteed contract. But I mean, you, you tell me, you know, just hypothetically, you know, obviously, you know, Josh Allen and Buffalo and, and Patrick Mahomes, and can't see it, they're locked up. But, you know, some of these newer guys, these newer guys coming up, you know, and, and even some of the older guys, you know, looking for looking for deals, looking for contracts. I mean, you, are you going you're gonna to tell me that, you know, they're not going to ask for fully guaranteed contracts? You know, the, the, these are teams that obviously the quarterback is is considered the most important position in all of sports. You know, and, and we've seen that quarterbacks are willing to say, all right, well, if, if you don't won't pay me here, somebody else will pay me somewhere else. You know, um, and I think that 
because that that's another factor in it is that quarterbacks and, and just players in general are willing to say, okay, well, yeah, I've been here for, you know, however many years, but, you know, at this point, loyalty means less to me than securing myself, you know, generationally, you know, from a financial standpoint, um, you know, let, let's just be honest. If this had happened before, you know, Aaron Rodgers signed his deal, you know, Deshaun Watson gets a fully guaranteed contract. You mean to tell me that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to go at Aaron Rodgers would absolutely go at say, look, this is what I'm signing for. And it's got to be fully guaranteed. If you say no, I'll leave and somebody else will pay me because I'm Aaron Rodgers. There we have it. Marcel, man, thanks for taking the time to join me tonight. Uh, share your expertise with uh, the, the rest of the viewers, listeners of the format podcast. Appreciate it. Don't be a stranger, man. Nah, no, no, no such thing, man. I'm, I'm a fr friend to all, stranger to none, man. It was good talking to you, <laughs> catching up, man. Absolutely, man. Well, you have a good one. Thanks a lot. You too, my man. All right.